Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Discipleship Today podcast, the podcast where we talk about and discuss discipleship in our churches and in our homes and in our everyday life. I am your host, Andy York, and as always, I am joined by the pastor of the Grove Free Baptist Church, as well as the moderator of the National Association of Free Baptists, Tim York. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Andy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, this is our second week in a row, so we're we're doing better than what we, we started doing, so... Uh, we're excited to be doing this, and this week I'm, I'm going to let you introduce the topic and let you kind of discuss and talk about it a little bit. So, well, here at the Grove for the last I don't know four weeks. This will be our fourth week, I think. We've been preaching through the Book of Titus and talking about how that the Bible describes for the New Testament church and the Apostle Paul when dealing with Titus and with Timothy in the pastoral epistles really emphasizes this thing of mentoring and discipleship. And so I think as we uh, look at discipleship in our world today and look at the church, then Titus probably gives us one of the clearest pictures or views of what it really ought to look like inside the church. Now, uh, when you read chapter 1, you come to, you know, you realize really quick in verse 4, he said, Titus, my own son. There, Paul is emphasizing the fact that this is his spiritual child. Just like he said to uh, Timothy, you're my spiritual child. I help bring you into spiritual life. And so that is where, where we often talk about. Uh, oftentimes in the church, that's where we stop is when someone becomes the spiritual child. And we are the world's worst child neglectors. Uh, we ought to be put in jail for how we've neglected children, spiritual children, not physical children, spiritual children, because the church has truly neglected those who have come to faith in Christ. And so here Paul says, you know, you're my own son in the ministry. And then he goes on to say, you're after the same common faith, and he gives him grace, mercy, and peace, which introduction and then he immediately says, here's why I left you in Crete. I left you here because you, I'm going to mentor you, and you got to set some things in order. So not only was Paul mentoring Titus, much like I mentor you as here at the Grove, Andy, but now it was Titus's job to mentor Crete mm -hmm. or disciple Crete. Here's what we often do in discipleship. We want to make everybody just like me. That's not what he says. Titus was not like Paul. Timothy was not like Paul. He gave them the spiritual parameter to work inside, and he brought them along. But Timothy would be in Ephesus. Paul would be in Crete. I mean, sorry, Titus would be in Crete. Paul would be in prison. Mm -hmm. And so all those had to operate in different worlds. But the truths of the gospel and the truth of the apostles' doctrine never changed. And so they were allowed the opportunity to operate in their own culture. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's really interesting when you look at the book of Titus and how it hit really deals with discipleship. I know we've, we've talked about discipleship a lot here in the past few months, and um, it, we kind of look at a few key places. We look in Matthew. We look at the Great Commission. We look at Acts a lot of the times. But really in Titus is where you see a lot of the— of discipleship playing out 
because you get the commands in Matthew and, and in the Gospels, and then in Acts you see the church start. But here is where you really see the discipleship process really play out and really go from there. This becomes the vision, yeah. what to do. You know, in chapter 1, the first thing Paul tells him to do is set some elders in order. Spiritual leadership is not a, it's not an option. It is a part of what we do. If you only, here's what we have to learn. If you only have church and you have a leader and that leader is dynamic and the church is growing and there's never the process of other leaders, then you shorten the spiritual life of that whole congregation. Now, let mm -hmm. me stop there, drive a nail, and talk for a moment. Most churches that my life has been involved in, and that's hundreds of churches over the last uh, almost 50 years, I have learned that people, when they talk about leadership in the church, they want somebody to watch over the money and somebody to watch over the property and somebody to watch over this and somebody to watch over that. That's not spiritual leadership. That's man-made garbage. Acts chapter 6, when they put those guys, they were servants. And I'm not sure Acts chapter 6 has anything to do with 1 Timothy chapter 3 when he uses the phrase deacon. But what we do know is that elders and pastors and shepherds and bishops are a part of that leadership process that God used different t terms, but they all mean the same thing. They're a spiritual leader. That, that spiritual leader is the pastor teacher. His job is for edifying the saints. He is there not just to get up on Sunday and give a great sermon or have a great revival worship or a, or a hallelujah meeting, but he is there to train the saints and to teach them on a day-to-day -day basis this thing called discipleship. So that's what Paul said. You got to set this in order. And he gives him the 17 things that would take in order for a guy to meet the qualifications as elder. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes through, because we've, <clears throat> like we've said, we have um, gone through the whole book of Titus this month. And you can actually find that on our, um, our sermons on, on the church website, uh, Grove Church Smyrna. We have all of the audio of that um, on there that you can go back and listen um, and it's really interesting because we <clears throat> kind of jumping, we'll, we'll skip chapter two for right now and jump into chapter three is where when we had our community day is what you preached on. And it's it's fascinating that it even jumps into authority around us as well. Our civic duty. Yeah. Uh, just for the, you know, a couple weeks for the election here in the United States. Paul again tells Titus, now when you're doing this, you teach them to obey the authorities. In other words, the government. There, there are people who are in charge of you. And so in this common faith, in this common walk with God, you're to live godly and you're to live as a good citizen. And, and so discipleship would help all of us in so many areas. It would help our churches. It would help our government. It certainly could not hurt our homes. It would help our homes. But the problem is this. We want a cookie-cut religion. We want to go to church on Sunday, feel good about our experience, go home, live our lives, have a few things that we don't do because we are Christians, do a few things because we are, and then come back and repeat the process. Never intended New Testament passage. New Testament passages are really clear that you and I are to live every day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 
out our faith as disciples of Jesus Christ. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, if I'm in the church, I'm a good church member. If I'm in the country, I'm a good citizen. Wherever I am, it is important for me to be salt and light and be like Jesus. That's what the ultimate disciple does. He becomes more and more and more like Jesus. So chapter 3 really gives us the first part of chapter 3. Yeah. I want to talk about the last part of chapter 3 toward the end of our talk. Too. That's fine. Um, and then jumping back to chapter 2 is where we see the generational discipleship. Where you see in chapter 2 verses, specifically in 1 through 10, um, which is what I preached on last Sunday. It's not Sunday. just physical. It's no. a spiritual yeah. just, uh, gener- generational as well. Yeah. It's basically, it's discipling those underneath you, those younger than you, those who aren't as spiritually mature as you, how to walk in Christ, how to live your life in Christ, how to be pure, faithful, how to be good husbands and wives, how to be good church members. And part of the reason why we are facing the issues that we face in our society today and part of the reason why we are facing this decline in discipleship instead of this um, instead of this uh, upward uh, upward raise that we should have is because we haven't really done this. We haven't taught our men and women how to be pure and faithful, and that's why the divorce rate among Christians is so high. That's why um, it's now acceptable for same-sex marriage in our country because we haven't done our job at discipling the next generation at what absolute truth is, and we've become this society the church has has become this place where you will stay in our bubble we don't want to touch anybody around us we want to hide from the tough questions the difficult questions and that's why we see our students leaving the church that's why we don't see families in our church anymore is because we don't address these situations head on we run from them almost a gasp when you ask the hard question like yeah. I can't believe you even said or, that. But they're thinking it too, by the right. way. Right. Or if it's a student, we just automatically think they're rebelling. They're rebelling. They don't really want to know. When in actuality, yes, they might be saying it to rebel, but there are probably other people around them asking the exact same question. Well, the culture asks certain questions. The church has to decide, will we answer or will we ignore? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the tragic things... One of the highest statistics that's is absolutely mind-boggling to me is how many people leave the church at 18. 70 per, 70% of active students, meaning that they were they attend church at least twice a month, leave the church after graduation. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Do not say I said something I didn't say. I'm glad we got this on recording. So I said that. I want to be very clear. If we were a business, if we were a business, one of the first things we would cut from the bottom line is the youth ministry because it's a non-productive long-term ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, as a spiritual leader and as a father and as a grandfather, and you know, there's no way to cut it because most kids come to Christ at that age. Mm-hmm. So we have this unique dichotomy of issues here we have a problem with them leaving but it's the time we plant the seed for their conversion so what that tells us is the gap is not in the evangelism it's in the discipleship discipleship side and it comes from parents 
who believed in the silo system, but believes that, you know, the youth group meets, the old folks meet, and nobody ever gets together. Mm-hmm. Generational discipleship is everybody discipling everybody. Uh, I mean, really and truly, what ought to happen in a church is the kids ought to teach the grandparent, the grand, the old folks in the church, or the senior citizens, as they prefer to be called. <laughs> Closer I get to that age, the more I prefer that. But how to work their cell phone while they're showing them how to work their lives. Yeah. But instead, we just ignore each other, and it goes back to parents who aren't discipling their children. And well, not to cut you off, but the reason why I think discipleship in the home has completely gone away i'd say it's it's basically it's non-existent at this point um that's speaking in and not just our church but in multiple churches at dying churches because discipleship at home isn't there one of the main reasons i truly believe is because the church hasn't given the parents the resources to disciple because the church hasn't discipled the parents enough to get to where they can even remotely try to disciple their kids. And discipleship in the home isn't a devotion. Devotion is important. Devotions are good. They teach your kids good things. But discipleship in home is completely more, it's not, I don't want to say complex, but it's deeper than that. It's the lying down, rising up as you walk in the right. way, Deuteronomy 6. Let me go back here and chase a rabbit that you started. Um Let's say you are a new believer, been saved five years, and you got teenagers in your house. Do you really want to have a family gathering where they can ask you anything <laughs> when your church has not prepared you for everything? I don't even want to do that with the teenagers right now. Because I mean, they're going to ask them. Yeah, they ask tough questions. So I think people out of fear, out of not knowing what to do, just left it alone. And what the church has to do is come alongside these families. Now, we're not saying not pray with your kids, not saying not read the Bible to your children. I, I think probably one of the greatest discipleship tools we had in the York household was memorization of Scripture. And, um, I mean, I hear all three of my kids quoting the Bible. I hear my grandkids <laughs> quoting the Bible. And when you when you understand, have you hidden his word in your heart that you might not sin against him? There's something about memorizing scripture. There's something about when somebody says, hey, you know, uh, why do we do this? Well, just because is not the answer. Mm-mm. And, uh, you know, Andy, you grew up in my home. And you know that you could always come to me and ask me the hardest question. And we'd sit down and look through it. And even though when you sometimes probably didn't have the best attitude about the answer and was argumentative, the one thing I never allowed, whether I was teaching at a Christian school, whether I'm teaching a teen class, whether I was in camp or with my own kids, is for false teaching to come out of somebody's mouth. Because an argument sometimes can turn into false teaching. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that. That's why I always school preachers young preachers, especially youth guys. If they ask a question you don't have the answer for, don't fake it. Right. Make sure we look up the answer together. People Mm -hmm. respect that. But let me go back to something else real quick, and that is in Titus, the emphasis is for the older to train the younger. So Ephesians says the pastor is to equip the saints. The breakdown of the home, the church, and the country, I believe, came from showmanship pulpits 
instead of true Bible-believing pastors. Mm -hmm. Let me say what I'm about to say here. I believe the local pastor ought to be the local theologian. He ought to be the guy people go to when the chips are down. He ought to be the guy that everybody understands, loves him, cares for them, and is there for them, and and knows them, and will call them out when that moment comes. Um, but the church, in its desire to be accepted, has worried about the style of music, has worried about the style of preaching, um, what the carpet looks like. What the carpet looks like. What the walls are painted. Do you have pews? Do you not have pews? Do you have a drum? Do you not have a drum? I mean, we have gone through a lot of garbage. And I go back to this and say, pastors, it falls on our shoulders to disciple our people. Everybody who's failed under my leadership, somewhere I hold some blame. For those who were successful, I think I hold some, some uh, success. But, I'm going to tell you, this is a battle. And, and by the way, before we get too hard on preachers, there are a lot of discouraged preachers. They're trying everything they know to do. They're, they're, because of the atmosphere we built in the church, it's become a competitive spirit. People say all the time, how's church doing? What they really know is how many of you run it? Mm -hmm. How many of you stay there Sunday? And what we've got to move the bar to say is, if, if the country was taken over today and our faith was outlawed, how many people would still stand for Jesus? Right. Well, that might change. I mean, that might change everything about who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and that's <clears throat> that's one of the things that I've, I, I spoke about Sunday and preached about Sunday is: Are we discipling our kids? And I'm not just when I say we, I'm not just meaning uh, parents, but I'm meaning my job as a, as the youth pastor here is to also teach the kids what absolute truth is. What What is 100% true, what isn't. This past Wednesday night in our Bible study, we talked about evolution. And we talked about how is, is creation and evolution, creation versus evolution, really a battle of Christianity versus science. And the truth of that statement is no. Christianity and science are one, but not just any science. It's the true science. It's not this mumbo-jumbo that they have to come up with their own just so that they can prove they're right. It's what is absolute science. What is what we are made of, how we are made, that's science, and that's God. That's what God did. So basically science and Christianity are the same thing. Um, they're in the same family. They're in the same bracket. So when the chips are down, are our students, are your students going to say that, or are they going to believe what their science teacher is telling them? And so we have to train our kids to to, to believe in absolute truth and to be strong in their faith to when they get asked the tough questions by their uh, by their professor in college, which if they go to a secular college, they're more than likely will face this. Will they be able to stand firm in what they truly believe or will they cower down and, and fall back to what they want everybody else to hear? And while we have to be prepared as a church, it's <laughs> not just... That that student be prepared, but that parent be prepared to back that student up. That right. grandparent be prepared. That small group leader, the children's church worker, the nursery worker yeah. needs to know the truth. Yeah. And somehow we got this convoluted idea that if they're on the campus of the church on Sunday, they're in church. That's not true. Mm -hmm. That a lot of people 
who are out walking around, not listening, nothing going on, say, oh, I was at church saying, no, you wasn't. Mm -hmm. You were doing your thing. When you're really being discipled is when you're sitting there absorbing and being trained and being taught. And God help us. You know, uh, one day we're going to give an account. As I tell them here at the Grove, I'm going to give an account one day for what you guys know and don't know and what you've been allowed to do and not allowed to do. And God help me, I want to be... I want to be clear to the scriptures, true mm -hmm. to the scriptures, because Titus 3, can I go there? We yeah. got time? Yeah, go ahead. Titus 3 says this. When people start asking, and I'm going to use a word that we don't want our kids to use, stupid questions, <laughs> like genealogies, starting arguments, bringing up silly stuff. By the way, I think one of the most detrimental things in the Christian school movement, because I've been a part of that a long time, is Bible class when there is no Bible class and everybody just argues and fights. That's what Titus says. That is not the answer. Mm -hmm. That's not how people learn. So we say, oh, yeah, they, they, they argued out. No, they don't. Kids don't have the concept. I remember when I walked in Bible class to teach the first day, kids said, can we have a debate like we used to have? And I said, no, you're not smart enough to debate. You don't know enough to debate. And so I'm not letting you teach full stuff here. I go back to this. Those who ask silly questions, whether it's in church or wherever, and it's not the hard question, it's that question that calls trouble. You know what he said, do? Go warn them. Mm -hmm. And if they keep doing it, you know what you do? You warn them the second time. And then you know what you do after the second time? He said, you mark them. Now, I want to hang on that word mark for just a moment. You remember Jesus said, if your brother offends you, if you have an all against your brother, you know, Matthew 18, we know it well. You go to him and him alone. If you can't settle it, you take two or three with you. That's one. That's two. The third time, you kick him out of the church. You're marking. Mm -hmm. Marking someone is the same word that is used in Revelation for the mark of the beast. Mm -hmm. Someone who causes trouble in the church is not to be given in true discipleship a place of authority. They're to be marked like you would like an antichrist. Mm -hmm. The spirit of antichrist. And if I can just say this. One of the things that's hurt discipleship greatly in the organized traditional church is this. If I'm the loudest person in the business meeting, if I'm the meanest person if I've got control of the purse or whatever else, I'm chairman of some committee or board, and I just got a bad attitude, people fear me. People don't want to have conflict. And so what do we do? I run the church. I become the church boss. And so real discipleship then becomes everybody act like me. Mm -hmm. And that's not what the New Testament taught. The New Testament taught that grace so transforms our lives, we don't want that garbage. And what some folks have to do if they really want to have true discipleship is mark troublemakers. Yeah. Mark them. Say, hey, dude, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're marked. You have been marked. And, um, you, you know, sad truth is we'll put a toddler in timeout, and we got some church folks who need to be marked and put in timeout because discipline helps. Yeah. Yeah, discipline does help, and it, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> it's one of those. I think the reason why we 
the organized traditional church for so long has allowed the loudest person, the meanest person, kind of like you said, because, you know, nobody wants to be that person to say, nobody wants to, quote, offend somebody. Nobody wants to make somebody mad that they might leave the church. The best thing for the church might be for them to leave the church. It might be the best for them spiritually. It might be the best for your church spiritually. And it's the same thing for your, if you're in a discipleship group setting and you have four or five people meeting with you and you have one person who is answering all the questions or is talking the most all the time. And when I say talking the most, I mean not making any sense, but for they're talking for 30 minutes, but they haven't said anything, that type of talking. Um, and they've got the they got to pray for everybody and their mother and their or entire say, family. Just like that happened to me. Oh, everything has yeah. to go back to them. Yeah, that isn't that is not helping your group. That's a hindrance to your group. It's called hijacking. And it's if you you know like like he said, if you call them out twice and they continue to do it and you warn them twice, then it's time for them to go because they're not helping. They're hurting. And there's there's nothing worse than a discipleship group or somebody who is meeting for discipleship or a Sunday school class. Yeah, or a Sunday school class or a life group or or whatever the setting is. Even at church, there's nothing worse than having one person ruining it for everybody else because then nothing gets done. No discipleship takes place, and it's just a waste of an hour, hour and a half where you're just spinning in circles and you're not moving anywhere. I was on a. Uh, I gotta be careful what I say here. I was on a. A video conference Skype with probably 50 people the other night. And I was just listening. I was there to listen. And I logged in. Everybody else logged in. But there was probably 10 people who kept hijacking the thing. I know them by personal. I've never met them. But I know their face. I know their name. Because they kept interjecting themselves. One guy actually took time. Well, we're all 50 listening to tell his wife that, that the person who's running the thing thought he was funny. I mean, and we're all hearing. We're all listening. Yeah. And you're going, dude, get off the phone. Well, I, I think that happens in church. Mm-hmm. And discipleship has to be organized, structured. And Titus, let's go back to Titus real quick. It takes you from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. But the interesting thing about Titus is he starts with evangelism and all all of them. He says, this is the time for preaching. This mm-hmm. is where we share the gospel. Chapter 2, one of my favorite passages, verse 11 through 14. And and, and then you get to chapter 15, and he says, we're not, we're, you know, you're washed by the cleansing of the blood, and, and, and you've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. So conversion ought to produce real discipleship. Right. Birth ought to give life to where people grow and become stronger and stronger. And so Titus says, hey, or Paul says, Titus, get them ready because they got to pass this on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. That's what we got to do. Right. Now, how would, if a pastor is handling a situation where there is a, a troublemaker in the church, what is the correct spiritual way to deal with that, because I know the, the the default is to get mad, to get angry, turn red in the face, yell at him, scream at him. Well, what is the proper way to handle that situation all, for every, your first warning, your second warning, and then kicking them out? Here's the problem. The pastor has to have the authority to do that in the local church. Some right. churches don't give them that authority. If you're in a church that don't give you that authority, then you're just, I hate to say this, but you're stuck. Right. You're just there because there's not a lot of room to wiggle because they'll fire you. 
your family would be on the street at Christmas time with nothing to eat. And by the way, people don't mind doing that to them. Yeah. Um, I would say if someone's really causing a problem, the first time I would go to them very kindly, firmly. By the way, don't let your meekness be seen as weakness. Firmly. Say, look, brother, sister, this is, this is a problem. And here's the problem. If they won't hear you, then do what Jesus said. I'd take two or three leaders with me. Who, by the way, don't just grab two or three. Make sure they agree with you. Mm-hmm. Nothing like getting in there and the guy not agreeing <laughs> with you. And then um, after that, once you've done that, then the next thing is uh, um, you uh, you then, if they don't do it, then you got to mark them and say, hey, you know, church, we got a problem here. Hardly ever do you get that far. Normally, mm-hmm. normally a self-absorbed person is so offended that you didn't think they were the greatest, the smartest. <laughs> you know, they're going to go in. But always document what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't record because that's not really legal. But, you know, I keep good notes so that if somebody said, hey, what happened? I can say, well, here's what was said. Here's what I said. Here's what happened. Here's the passages we read. Because people will, uh, people with wrong motives don't mind lying. Lying is, uh, it's a part of our culture that's a, it's a sad thing that's happened to us as a people, and people don't mind lying to prove their point. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's something that we've all got to, to be careful of and watch out for. Um, do you have any other thoughts or anything else that you would like to throw in? I would say as Thanksgiving comes up, maybe next week, let's talk about, uh, about how we could do some discipleship through the Thanksgiving with our families. I think that would be a cool thing to do. Because many of us are going to be with family and friends and uh, over the next few month, weeks. It's hard to believe it's here. And so as we begin to unfold that, uh, that opportunity, how do we handle it and not be the obnoxious guy in the room, but literally trying to help disciple people? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but that's going to do it for this week's episode um, of the Discipleship Today podcast. Uh, we are going to, in the future here pretty soon, we're going to start asking questions at the end of these. To We want feedback between us and, and pastors or brothers and sisters that are listening to this or anybody that's listening to this. Um, and feel free to, to send us your questions. If you have any discipleship questions, we'll always get to those. We'll always answer those. You can send those to our Facebook page, The Discipleship Today. Um, Facebook page, we'll find you there. Um, but you can always find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, we also share it to our Facebook page there as well, so you can um, find it there. So there's a lot that is coming up here in the future. Um, we're very excited about doing this. We have, uh, we're finally getting back into the swing of things. Um, and the, we know the holiday season is right around with Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we are going to continue to do this because there is no better time than the holidays to um, continue discipling and to continue to make a difference in your family. Um, but do you have any other... Any other final thoughts that you would like to say before? I would just say this. Um, I would like for you to read through the book of Titus and just see where we were talking. I think that would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes, and those resources that we um, talked about last week, the growing up, the heart of a disciple maker. Um, repli- if you go to replicate.org, there is a lot that um, that Brother Robbie Gallaty is doing. He is... He is the he is the driving force that a lot of people go to because he has done it for so long and he has so many books about it. Um, and you can find several other resources that he has on his website um, from people that have mentored him and, and done other things with him. So you can check that out there. 
But you got to find what works for you. Right. What works with your people. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a trial and error. And if is. you fail, it's not necessarily a fail. It's just, okay, that didn't work. Now what Let's do we have to do to else. change it? Right. So don't get discouraged. We know it's, it's very discouraging. We know it's difficult. Um, at some points, because ministry—if ministry was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, right, it's uh, it's a, it's a process, but it's a process that we are all called to do. And we're hoping that our Kentucky fans will cheer hard and we'll beat Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, we need to bounce back week this weekend. It was a rough weekend <laughs> all the way around. So, so I even mentor my kids in sports. Yeah, well, I think sometimes we mentor you guys in sports that, as well. That may be true. <laughs> but once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Um, we are going to be coming back next week, as he said, talking about discipling over Thanksgiving, um, how to disciple your family through the Thanksgiving holidays and what ideas and things like that would work. Um, but once again, guys, thank you so much for uh, checking out this week's episode, and we'll see you next week.